Hey, um, does anybody know what t- this week starts? NCAA national title hopes. And I want to tell you, there was a time when my team, does anybody know who I root for? There was a time when my team was on the outside looking in. No one gave them any shot. No one gave them a hope. It was the first season for Coach Woodson. And guess what? They were disrespected by being put in the play-in game today, but they're still in the tournament. You know why I'm so excited about that? Because everybody loves a comeback story. Everybody likes to see those who are down and out find their groove and get back into the game. And so today, tonight at 9, 10 p.m., after I'm done teaching my Bible study, I will be watching my Hoosiers play, and I hope that you'll root for them too. Anybody know who Kurt Warner is? Anybody ever watch Kurt Warner play football? Do you know Kurt Warner's story? Yeah, it's a great story of comeback, right? He was born in 1971. He was born and bred in Iowa. He was an Iowa boy. After a a distinguished high school career, he went on to play at the University of Northern Iowa. When he got there, he was the third string quarterback. He stayed the third string quarterback until his senior year in college. He finally got his big break. He started. He did an incredible job. He ended up being the named the Gateway Conference Offensive Player of the Year and first team all conference. One year of football. But after he graduated in 1994, he went undrafted in the NFL draft. Kurt Warner had a dream. His dream was to play football. He loved football and his dream was to play football at the highest level in the NFL. But it seemed like he may never accomplish his dream. But in 1994, the Green Bay Packers invited him to try out for their team. Now, they already had three quarterbacks on the roster when Kurt Warner went to try out. The three quarterbacks' names were a guy you've probably never heard of, Brett Favre. Mark Brunel, and the recent Heisman Trophy winner, Ty Detmer, and then Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner didn't make the team, and no one else wanted to sign Kurt Warner. And so he went back to his college hometown and started stocking shelves at the Hy-Vee grocery store in Cedar Falls for $5.50 an hour. But Kurt Warner had a dream. He wanted to play football because he loved football and he wanted to play football at the highest level. Something significant, two things significant happened in 1997 as he was in his wilderness stocking shelves at the Hy-Vee grocery store for $5.50 an hour. And they were this. He began walking with Jesus in a relationship and earnestly sought after his heart. Second thing is, is he met a young lady who was a single mom of two boys and they began to date. And in 1997, he married his best friend, Brenda, and adopted her two children. Now, these would be his foundation going forward. No matter what else happened while he was in the wilderness, he was going to walk with Jesus and he was going to walk with Brenda and her children. That was who Kurt Warner was, but he had a dream. He loved football. He wanted to play football and he wanted to play football at the highest level. And since nobody was willing to take a chance on Kurt Warner, he signed up for something new called the Arena Football League that had a few different rules that really was kind of a semi-professional thing. But Kurt Warner loved football and he had a dream. 
and he became very successful playing for the Iowa Barnstormers, his home state team. He was so good that Chicago Bears contacted him and said, hey, we want to give you a tryout to come and be a quarterback at the highest level because we know you love football and that you have you want to play football at the highest level. And so Kurt Warner was excited. He was just coming back from his honeymoon. But while on his honeymoon, he was bitten by a spider that ended up damaging his throwing arm. And once again, Kurt Warner was turned away from living out his dream, living out his purpose, living out his hope. Because Kurt Warner loved football and he loved playing football and he wanted to play at the highest level. So for a few years, he bounced around at an arena football and NFL Europe. And eventually in 1998, he was given an opportunity to get signed by, in a futures contract by a, a team called the St. Louis Rams. I'm sure that Joe knows who they are. But he was buried third string on the St. Louis Rams. After 1998 season, after not playing hardly at all, the starting quarterback of the Rams, Tony Banks, was traded. The second string quarterback, Steve Bono, left during free agency. And they signed a new quarterback from the Washington Redskins, a guy by the name of Trent Green, to be the starter. And Kurt Warner was going to be his backup. Because Kurt Warner loved football. And he had a dream to play football at the highest level because that's what he loved doing. But in a preseason game, the starting quarterback, Trent Green, was injured in a most likely illegal hit by Rodney Harrison and lost for the season to a torn ACL. After the game, the Rams' legendary quarterback, Dick, or coach Dick Vermeil, at the press conference, had a very emotional press conference about Trent Green and what he had meant to the organization. He didn't really know Kurt Warner, but he said, we will rally around Kurt Warner and we will play good football. He hadn't even seen Kurt Warner throw one pass with the starting unit. But the Rams started off hot, 4-0. Kurt Warner was playing way above expectations because Kurt Warner loved football and he wanted to play football at the highest level and he had a dream. In fact, Kurt Warner was so good that he had a, was being lauded as having a breakout season. And it was so unexpected that Sports Illustrated featured him on the October 18th cover with the caption, Who is this guy? Because he had come from obscurity into relevance. He'd, become, he'd gone from being a nobody to a somebody. He was beginning to live out his comeback story. He would go on to put together one of the greatest seasons in NFL history for a quarterback by throwing over 4,353 yards, 41 touchdowns, completing over 65.1% of his passes. Because Kurt Warner loved football and he had dreamed to play football at the highest level. Rams would go on to win the Super Bowl that year. Kurt Warner was named the MVP for the NFL season as well as MVP of the Super Bowl in his first season as a starting quarterback, just years removed from stocking shelves at the Hy-Vee grocery store for five fifty an hour, just years removed from having his dreams dashed against the rocks. It's years in the history book, for, but for him, it must have seemed like a lifetime. You know why we love that story? And by the way, it was just made into a movie that you can purchase on iTunes for nineteen ninety nine. You know why people are interested in his story? Because everybody loves a comeback story. Everybody loves to see the underdog succeed unless they're playing your team in the NCAA. 
Maybe your story is a comeback story. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 4 today. You want to turn there in your Bibles, your mobile devices. You know, I tell you all the time, I want you to bring your Bibles and your mobile devices so you can underline the, your Bible and remember something that you learned that God taught you when you were reading it the last time or highlighting your mobile device so that when you are scrolling through, you can remember what God is teaching you. We'll get there in just a second. But we're in the life of Moses who has lost everything, who went from the top of the world down to the trash heap of life and who is now struggling to find significance, has found humility and uh, he had become humble while living in the wilderness. But he had yet to understand that God loves a comeback story. But it's a lesson that he was going to learn because as Winston Churchill uh, apparently said, success is not final, failure is not fatal, It's the courage to continue that counts. And so for 80 years of his life, Moses hadn't learned that lesson. He thought that once you failed, you were always a failure. That once you had lost your dream, that you could never capture it again. But before the burning bush, God says to Moses, come on, I want to take you on a journey. You know what Moses says? Moses says, God, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. Send someone else who's more qualified because my past is a train wreck and I have thrown away the dream that you gave me. But friends, your past has paved the way for your present and your present is making a way for your future. Your past has paved the way for your present and your present is making a way for your future. In other words, everything that you've learned to this point, everything that you've gone through to this point, all that you are, your personality, your skills, your talents, your life experience has led you to where you are right now. And your past does not define you. Your past is the on-ramp to who God is calling you to be and the future that he's calling you to live. Your past has paved the way for your present and your present is making a way for your future. I think that maybe that's what Paul is saying. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, one of my favorite Bible verses. And for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Notice that doesn't say that God works all things for everybody. He says, for we know that God works all things, the good of all things. For those who love him. Those who have been called according to what? His purpose, not ours. The verse that my great-grandma Hargrave was her favorite verse. The verse that I live by today and that I have my kids say every night before they go to bed is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and what? He will direct your path. He will make your path straight. So when you feel like your life is a mess and you feel like you've failed in God's calling and God's promise and your dream lies on the the wreckage of broken rocks along the shore, you need to understand you got trust in God. Even when you don't understand it. And if you'll do that, he'll make your path straight. He'll lead you in the right way. And what God is saying to Moses at the burning bush is, I know you feel like you've lost your dream, like you've lost your mojo, that you've lost your swagger, that you are unable to do what I'm asking you to do. You need to understand you were built for this. 
Those built for this moments are, are sometimes hard to imagine. They're hard for us to believe. They're hard that God can take our life even at this age and do something significant because we often believe that our best days are behind us. But what if I were to tell you that that's not true? What if I were to tell you that as long as God has left you here, he has given you a purpose because if you have a... If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And the Lord wants to use your past to do great things in tomorrow and today. And God wants to use you uh, and your experiences to help others who may be struggling some of the things you've gone through. So friends, don't give up on God. Don't give up on your dreams because your dream is not dead yet. Because you were built for this. Maybe you just can't see it yet. Now, maybe you're just standing there looking at a puzzle piece in your hand and saying, God, I don't know how this is going to play out. It doesn't make sense. My time is not as long as it used to be. God's just saying, I know you can't see this puzzle, how this puzzle piece is going to fit. But listen, I've seen the whole picture. I created the picture. It's beautiful. So just hold on. Just hold on. You see, you only see your failures but I see your potential. You see your failure in Egypt as the end, but I see it as just the beginning of your foundation. Everything I did for you the first 40 years of your life was part of your preparation. The last 40 years of your life that's happened in the desert has been the conclusion of the training that I needed you to go into in order to be ready for your mission that I'm calling you now because success is never final. Failure is never fatal. It's the will to continue that counts. So now you're ready. Now you're ready. Friends, there is a truth here, I think. Sometimes our richest lessons are learned in the lonely desert. Sometimes our richest lessons are learned in the lonely desert. Moses spent 40 years in the desert learning that after he thought he was a failure. Noah spent 40 days on a boat while it rained and another 150 days in the boat while the waters receded. Abraham spent 25 years waiting for God to make good on his promise. Joseph spent 13 years as a slave. Elijah, who's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, spent years on Queen Jezebel's most wanted list. And while on the lamb, he was... Uh, had to live in a, by a dried up stream during the middle of a drought. He had to be fed by ravens. He was finally told to go to a certain town where God would lead him to a widow who would take care of him. And when he got there, she was making her last meal for herself and her son. And then she was going to die. Great encouragement there. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness with his father before his ministry began. You see, it's in the quiet moments of our life that God speaks into our hearts. Psalmist said in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. It is so hard for us to be still, isn't it? (laughs) The Hebrew word that's translated be still in our English versions can also be translated as cease striving. Cease striving. I'm not very good at that, friends. I'm kind of a brute force type of guy. I don't mean I'm a a, a strong or tough. What I mean is that when I'm working on a project and things are not going well, sometimes I just try harder at what's not going well. 
It's like uh, the story I heard of a muscular NFL all-pro running back, his wife and his 10-year-old son. They're in one of those escape rooms. You know what that is? One of those escape rooms that are pretty popular today. It's a game. You go into a room, you've got an hour, they give you clues and they give you, uh, you know, uh, hints in how to escape that room. And it's kind of a fun activity for a group of people, unless you're claustrophobic, and then it can be a little uh, scary. But anyway, they're in this room. They've spent 55 minutes. They've gone through all the clues. They, this, this room has seven doors around it, but you're only allowed to try each door uh, for a two-minute period. And so they've been very careful by discovering the clues. What they've come to discover is that the source of their salvation is the blue door. All the doors are metal, though. And so the son says, should I go, dad? And dad says, go ahead. And he goes up to the door and he tries it, but the door's locked. Well, did we get the clues wrong? I mean, what do we do? And the dad says, look, we're going to win this game. I'm an all pro running back one way or the other. So stand back. And so he gets back and he starts uh, getting a, a head start and he begins to run as hard as he can into the steel door. And there's a tremendous crash. But when the dust covers, the door's still standing and the all pro running back is not. But he's not going to give up. So he gets back up. He gets a running start. He runs full steam into the door as hard as he can. And there's a tremendous crash. When the dust clears, the door's still standing. The all-pro running back's not. Three times this happens in this man's life or in, in this moment. And so finally, his wife just kind of sits on a chair and begins to think. And she's like, can we just take a moment? And he's like, sure. Like anything was ever accomplished by taking a moment, but whatever. And she says, do you think perhaps we should try the skeleton key that we found under, under the lantern 25 minutes ago? You know, friends, just like the son, we're frustrated when locked doors face us. Just like the dad, we think that the only way to get through a problem is to push through on our own strength, but we can't. And just like the mom, maybe we'd need to be still this morning until God shows us the way. One day, Eric and I were traveling. We love to travel, been all over the world together in 10 years of marriage, almost 11 years of marriage. Uh, and I've survived this far. But we were in a car on a road when our GPS said, no service. Well, what do you do when your GPS says no service? I mean, the only way for us to get around is through our GPSs, right? Um, so my wife, who has to be descended from Daniel Boone because she is like... His double, a lot prettier, but um, says, I can figure this out. I'll get a map. And so she gets a map out, which I hadn't seen in 20 years, and um, begins to try to figure out where we are and how to get home. And you know what I did? I put the car in drive and started driving. She said, where are you going? I said, I don't know, but we're going somewhere. (laughs) How many times in our life Do we just go because we want to be in motion when what we need to do is just be still? Because it's in the quiet moments that God speaks to our heart. So whatever challenge you're facing today, listen, you are not strong enough. I want you to repeat after me. There is a God. And I am not him. Turn to the person next to you and said, well, you're really not. (laughs) Some of you have been waiting to say that for a long time. God says, just be still. Wait on my timing. 
because there's more of the story that you can't see yet. And friends, after Moses' burning bush moment with God, this is what we read in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they're still alive. Go in peace, Jethro replied. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. When I read this, I kind of had the wrong understanding of what's happening in this moment until I did some study through Chuck Swindoll and some commentaries. I came to understand what's happening here. Remember, in verse 17, as we got ready to, to... We ended last week. God said, now take the staff and go back to Egypt because I am going to go with you and you're going to take your your brother Aaron and we're going to do this together. But now as he goes back, he doesn't go immediately. The first thing he does is go to his father-in-law. Now understand that 40 years is a long time. Can anybody remember where they were 40 years ago? Does it seem like yesterday or does it seem like, man, a lot is, I mean, it seems like yesterday. And then you start thinking about all the things that have happened over 40 years and you're like, Holy cow, that's a lot of time that has passed. This is what Moses had experienced in his first 40 years. Chuck Swindoll said that Moses was a man who had advanced knowledge in hieroglyphics, science, literature, and military tactics. But after 40 years, he's not using the degree he graduated with. He's going into a whole other field. And he must have thought, I wasted all that time, all that effort learning. Everything that I had accomplished has come to nothing in this desert. Because he'd gone from commanding armies to leading sheep, debating with the intellectual elites in Pharaoh's court, to talking to the birds of the air and the sheep that he cared for. Forty years in the desert can change a lot. And it's changed a lot in Moses' heart. I wanted to read to you a section from Chuck Swindoll's book on Moses. This is what Chuck says about this. Notice carefully how the process took place through those years of desert learning. Because it's the same with you and with me. God must break through several hard exterior barriers in our lives before he can renovate our souls. His persistent goal is to break through to the inner person. As David acknowledged, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part. You will make me know wisdom. What are those resistant layers of our hearts and how does he break through to the hidden part? First, he finds pride. I'm sure no one in this room has ever struggled with pride. That was my insert, not his. And he uses the sandpaper of obscurity to remove it ever so gradually. Then he finds us gripped by fear, dread of our past, anxiety over our present, and terror over what may lie ahead. And he uses the passing of time to remove that fear. We learn that things aren't out of hand at all. They're in his hand. He next encounters the, uh, encounters the barrier of resentment, the tyranny of bitterness. He breaks down that layer with solitude. In silence of his presence, we gain a fresh perspective, gradually release our cherished rights, and let go of the expectations that held us hostage. Side note, I would wager that most of us in this room today would say that our life has not turned out the way that we thought it would or the way that we planned. And sometimes those dreams, those miscalculations, those detours of our life have left us unable to deal with the fact that our life didn't turn out like we thought it should. 
Finally, as Chuck says, he gets down to the basic habits of living. So close to our inner person, and there he brings discomfort and hardship to buff away the last layer of resistance. Why? So that he might renovate us at the very core of our being. Listen, friends, God cares more about what's going on inside of you than he does about the circumstances that are surrounding you. God wants more than anything to remove all of the things that keep you far from him, all of the layers that we have allowed, all of the sediment that's, that's built up over time, all of the calluses that have formed throughout the hurts in our life that have kept us from him. He wants to remove all of that so that he can walk beside you and have a relationship with you and use you to do great things. Because friends, as long as you have a pulse And as long as you have a purpose, there's a story being written about your life that God has not forgotten, that God has not put away on the the bookshelves of eternity. He is still writing right now. But one thing remained the same in the life of Moses. And you may disagree with me. That's okay. I'm from Indiana. His love and honor for his family never changed. Hmm. You know what I think was his guiding motivation to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt? I mean, I'm sure that there was pride, there was confidence and all that as well. But I think it was the love of his family. Remember, he knew his father and mother and his brother and sister. He'd spent his early years walking with them and loving them and hearing the story of his people. He'd grown up with them. He knew of their suffering and he wanted to do something about it. And friends, in the greatest moment to his life at that time, when he was battling for his family's livelihood and future, he lost. Now, 40 years later, he's still honoring and loving his family. He's been with Jethro's family for over 40 years. He's married Jethro's daughter. He's given Jethro grandsons, and he's cared for Jethro's sheep and well-being. And now he's about to leave Jethro to follow the Lord's leading. Two quick thoughts here that I want to share with you. The first one is, family should never be forsaken for the sake of the calling. If you're leading And your mission is calling you to treat the ones who love you the most, the worst. If they are going to be damaged by your pursuit of what God has called you to do. I don't believe that that, I don't believe that that's how God has wired us or, or chosen us to be. Don't miss this. Moses is showing respect for his father-in-law by going back to him. Now, apparently Jethro had learned to depend on Moses after 40 years. Moses is now 80. How old do you think his father-in-law is? And he doesn't want his journey to hurt his father-in-law. He wants to honor him. And so he shares part of his story with, with Jethro. But I also think that we see this in the way that Moses loves his wife and sons. What do I mean? Remember, there are people who wanted to kill him. And if they found his family, they'd kill his family too. Listen to what the text tells us. See what the text is telling us. Look into it to understand what the text is telling us. Before Moses left Midian... The Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. 
You catch that? It's safe for you to return. The very next thing we read is, so Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. God's allying his fears. It's going to be okay. Those who wanted you dead have now died themselves. It's going to be okay. You go to the Pharaoh. You go to the nation, the Hebrew nation, and you tell them that I've sent them. And after he tells them those who want to harm you are gone, what do we read? We read that he puts his wife and his, and his sons on the donkey and begins the journey with them. And what did he have with him? The staff of God. Which, remember, the Ark of the Covenant has not been built yet because... Moses is going to build it later on. So what was the physical manifestation of God's presence with Moses in that day? The staff of God. You know what God is reminding Moses? I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. The most frequent promise of the Bible is I will be with you. We see it all through the, the, the narrative, all through the story of God and his people. And today what God is telling you is I will be with you. I will be with you. Turn to the person next to you and say God is with you right now. Turn back to that person and say, well, he might be with you too. Here's the thing, friends, and I I can't stress this enough. I don't believe that God is calling us to sacrifice our families in order to save the world. I don't think that's the right choice. And over the last 30 years of my ministry, it's been an ongoing debate between pastors, honestly. Well, if I have to sacrifice my family to save the world, I will. I don't believe that that's what God wants for us because our first congregation is our family. If our children grow up hating the church because we were out saving the world, what good have we done the kingdom? Haven't. So in your calling and following God, which is the most important thing you do, you make sure that you take care of your family and pour into them because they are your first priority. And then you can... Join the mission together. Second thing I get from this text is remember to explain your burning bush moment to those you love most because they weren't on the mountaintop with you. Invite them into the journey. Can you imagine if Moses had been supercharged to go back and go to uh, (laughs) his wife Zipporah and their two probably adult sons and say, hey, listen, Zipporah, get on the donkeys because we're going back to Egypt. What? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? My father is like 700 years old. Not really, but I mean, you know, women can exaggerate sometimes. (laughs) So can men. men. Like I just did. And if my wife is watching right now, I love you, sweetheart. Please don't be mad at me. If people haven't been there in your burning bush moment with God, they're not going to understand your fire, your passion, your calling, your decisions. Take time to explain what happened to them. Take time to share the journey that God is taking you on so that they can go with you 
Because although God is writing your story, he's also writing theirs. And as you walk together, for this reason, the man shall leave his father and his wife, or father and mother. My mom would like it if I said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and wife and cling to his mother. But the text says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Their journey is mutual. Their adventures shared. Their children, the blessing that God has given to them. It's okay. They may not always explain what's going on. But share your heart with them so they can be part of the journey. I think that that's what we see with uh, Jethro and Moses, right? He says, (laughs) Jethro, he doesn't tell him the whole story. He says, I want to go back and see my family. It's been 40 years. I want to know if they're still alive. Jethro knows Moses' heart. He's been with him for 40 years. He has seen the transformation in the prince of Egypt to become a husband and a father. He knows the journey that Moses has been on over the last 40 years. And what courage it took to go back to the land that he was expelled from. And Jethro gives him his blessing. Because when God is moving, he opens the doors. And if the doors don't open, be still and know that he is God. And that he's still working. And thus begins Moses' comeback story. Friends, God loves a good comeback story. He wants to write yours today. I don't know where you are in your story, but I can tell you this. God's not done. He's still writing. Your past cannot define you because Jesus has buried that past with his blood. So today, what, how are you going to respond? How are you going to hope? Because, friends, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Lord, I just... Uh, Thank you so much for the way that you love us. I thank you for building us the way you have built us and the skills and talents and giftedness that we have. I just ask, Lord, that you would help us to believe, that you would help us to to be rid of our shame and our guilt, that, God, that you would take away the failures of our past and help us to rely on the promises of our present and of our future. God, we know that you continue to write a story with us. We we know that, God, you have uh, created us to do great things that you planned for us long ago because we are your masterpiece created anew. So, God, today we pray that you would reinvigorate us, that you would recharge our batteries, that, God, that you would not allow the enemy to tell us the lies that he wants to destroy us with, but that God, we would hear clearly from you and understand who we are in you and that you have called us for great things. Lord, we love you. We're sorry for our past mistakes. We're grateful for your everlasting grace. And Lord, today we want to run with reckless abandon wherever you lead. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Now, friends, there's just a couple things I want to share with you before we get ready to sing our song of invitation. The first is this. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no hope without Christ. There is no redemption without his blood. There is no eternal life without his uh, resurrection. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to experience the peace and grace and hope and forgiveness and renewed vision that he has for you, you have to start by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'll be over here today following the the service. Um, 
and so will some of the others on our team. If you need prayer today, listen, all of us are in different places on our journey. (laughs) And we need each other. We want to pray with you and we want to battle beside you and we want to encourage you today. Because the only one who can fix what's wrong in our lives and what's wrong in the world is the one who created it. So as we sing our song, I invite you to come over here. The last thing I want to share with you before we sing uh, is that uh, there's going to be a transition. Um, It's an exciting adventure for myself and my family. It's an exciting adventure for you. We've been helping a small church over in uh, Tavares, Florida. Cord and I have been preaching there on a rotating basis, and they've been looking for a pastor. And one day they just came up with an offer. And, uh, you know, we didn't anticipate leaving. We weren't trying to leave. Uh, In fact, uh, the first time I preached there, a a sweet 85-year-old woman came up to me and said, I believe God has called you to be our pastor. And I said, well, when God tells me that, I'll let you know. And... um, It wasn't just me, but my wife, you know, my calling is not by myself. My wife, my, my calling is a shared calling and I won't go anywhere without my wife. Uh, one time she said, if I left Florida, she'd really miss me. She really said that we go together. My calling is not just about me. It's about our family and my dad is going to be part of the ministry there helping me and preaching uh, with me and teaching. And um, man, you talk about a great way for your story to come back around. I haven't lived with my dad since I was 19 or 23 or something. It is the last thing we expected, but that's often where God works is the unexpected. And so the leadership team at Tomoka is going to provide for you a fantastic teacher and pastor uh, to love on you all. You are not forgotten. You are at the forethought of their, their, their mind. Pastor Joe loves you and cares about you. That's why Tuesday Church was created so many years ago, 16 years ago, is because he had you uh, on his heart and on his mind. And so, friends, all I can tell you is that the best is yet to come that I cannot wait to see what God does in your lives and the life of this church as we move forward. I'll be here as long as you let me uh, continue to teach and preach until the end of the month. And then um, we will say goodbye for now, but not goodbye forever. Because as an eighth grader told me 30 years ago, here, there, or in the air, we will meet again. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation. If you want to make a decision today or you need prayer, let's go. Life is too short. Let's go.